Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to these go to 11. Once again, Nathan Bell, Greg Dutch is sitting across from me. Greg, what's going on, dude? Dude, we were talking to our guests before today. I, I, I'm ready to announce a major thing. I may be giving up watching professional sports. Uh, because, dude, you, you don't watch them. No. It's not your passion. Our guest was saying it's not his passion. And why in the heck <laughs> am I putting myself through contorted torture every single week watching these teams that I root for and they <laughs> suck? You know, why it's, do it? It's it's the hope of possibility. It Greg. is. It is the hope of possibility. But, brother, uh, the Lord is revealing there is no hope. <laughs> there is. And, yes, people, I'm talking about the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, whose offense I think could not rival the Little Sisters of the Poor's field team, um, whatever that means, um, <laughs> an expression my dad used to say. They couldn't beat the Little Sisters of the Poor. So whatever uh, Franciscan order, non-order, I mean no offense. Right. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm honestly contemplating it, dude, because why am I putting myself through? Look, you, you seem much happier because you don't burden yourself. I know. It's great. Man. I think I'm going to um, – this is kind of a quote from Office Space. Remember when the guy said – yeah, I don't think I'm going to go to work anymore. <laughs> and remember, Jennifer Anderson says, well, you have to work. Says, nah, don't really want to do that. Well, you have to pay bills. Yeah, I've been thinking about that, too. I don't think I'm going to do that more, you know, anymore either. <laughs> so I'm going to try that experiment. Let, and I'll see how that works. Yeah. In, in three months when I'm living in this studio. <laughs> we'll, we'll That's awesome. <laughs> oh, great. Well, we're going to get to our guest in just one moment. But first, a word from our sponsor, Mission Aware. Mission Aware, man. How many times can we plug Mission Aware? Coolest apparel, uh, mugs, uh, yes, beer and coffee, um, <laughs> and steins, right, Nathan? That's right. Official term. Yeah. Um, greatest stuff, man. If you want to get your Spurgeon going, your Calvin going, your great grace quotes going, gospel quotes, uh, Bible posters. I mean, the, the products there are really well done. And uh, we've just had a great time partnering with them. Go to missionaware.com, type in our uh, special password, code word SUSTAIN for a great discount, and uh, let us know how you like their stuff. We certainly do. That's right. All right. And uh, diving right in, so excited about this. We have Eric Guzman joining us. Eric, how are you today? I'm okay. I'm managing. I don't have the burden of rooting for any teams. So it's a blessing, that's man. Well, for me. Um, <laughs> I, I do dream of doing nothing like that guy in office space. Yeah. <laughs> that, has, that has not been realized. And that's a bit frustrating. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other than that, I'm doing, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm all right. Nice, Good, nice. Well, it's great to have you on. I'm excited to talk to you about your book, The Seed, A True Myth. Um, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But Eric, before we do that, go ahead and, um, you know, spend a few minutes and tell us about yourself, friends, family, where you are, what you do. All that great stuff. Well, I live in Orlando, Florida, just outside of Orlando. That's, that's uh, got to be a rough life for you. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> a lot of people here uh, are close to doing nothing. So uh, <laughs> I can I can see the dream from where I am. You can see it on the beach, man. Well, no, there's, wait, there's no beach in Orlando. Forgive me. You can I, see it I'm at not Disney. Just, yeah, well, I have folks. That, my folks live on the beach, so I get down there quite a bit. Nice. And, uh, yeah, a lot of nothing going on down there, yeah. and that's cool. Um, I have a wife and three kids, and uh, I work at Key Life Network, and – I'm a executive producer here and do some writing and write a little bit for the blog, although I've been on hiatus, uh, a step towards doing nothing. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I'm noticing a theme emerging there. <laughs> yeah, this... well, I'm actually, you, guys are, you guys are catching me in the middle of a midlife crisis. And Good, so man. there's a lot. I'm, I, I think they call it uh, liminal space. Yeah. I think uh, that's where I'm at. And um, so, yeah, there, there is a bit of a dark cloud and uh, a need for escape from my current situation. Yes. But uh, anyway, as I'm, as I'm describing it, as you know, it's not that bad. Um, I've been working here at key life for uh, almost 20 years. Wow. And work with a guy named Steve Brown. Yeah. And, we, we've uh, heard of him before. Um, author, uh, broadcaster, and, um, you know, we're, we're all about grace here. So, um, if you, if I have to work anywhere, I think yes, <laughs> this is man. the ideal. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Hey, I got to ask dude, working there for 20 years has, uh, Steve Brown's amazing, soothing, 
uh, Morgan Freeman esque voice rubbed off on you at all, man? Can you? Can, no, you, you, not you, at all. You can't. You can't speak Steve Brown. In other words, no. I, I've been stealing his pipe tobacco. Yes, yes. That I could move towards that. Yeah. But no, no. I think I'm just getting cancer. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that is hilarious. I, I, I have to tell you, um, this past Sunday at our church, uh, I, I ended uh, the message with a, a Steve Brown quote. I think it's the one I'm paraphrasing. I won't do it justice. But uh, the only people who ever get better are the ones who know they never get better. God loves them anyway, which is, yep. you know, just got to be mm-hmm. the upper five for me of Steve Brown's awesome quote collection. And so afterwards, um, a dude that goes here, he's actually the regional uh, director for Young Life. Um, uh, Kevin and, and his lovely wife Carol, they uh, they they pulled me aside in the hallway. Said, Dude, we, "We got a picture. I think you'll like." And it was a picture of them with Steve Brown in the middle. And uh, they, I can't remember. It was a Young Life thing he spoke at, or some conference they were at. And uh, I said, "Oh, how was that, man?" Because I've actually never heard Steve Brown speak live. I've heard him on the radio a ton and podcast. And uh, they said, "Oh, it was awesome, man." And they said it was so cool. He spoke to this group of leaders. And then, like, um, I, you know, he said if, if somebody wanted to ask him a question, it was kind of an intimate setting, let him know. And uh, he asked uh, one of the leaders, there, he said, hey, do you know, I, I'm not going to dominate his time, but could I find Steve? I wanted to say something to him. And he goes, yeah, he's around the back smoking. <laughs> so, <laughs> dude, in between every session, he'd go out and light up. And I thought that is just exactly what I would picture, man, of Steve Brown. So Yeah, well, it, just a tip. If you're organizing an event and you want to have Steve come and speak, if you let him smoke, he'll stay longer. Otherwise, nice. <laughs> otherwise nice. he's going to do his bit and then hit the door. <laughs> Heck, I joined him. Go back him, to huh? the hotel. Say, Note to self, man. We're, we're going to meet in a, in, a, you know, in a hookah bar or something like that to get, <laughs> to, you know, to get Steve Brown tied into us. But um, – so, I, but Eric, you've been there for twenty years. Is that? I mean, how long has uh, uh, has Key Life been been around? Uh, thirty. Oh, it's been around so, that long. Wow. wow. Yeah, yeah. It started with Steve uh, at his church in Key Biscayne. Yeah. Sending out sermon tapes, and they would just send them out on cassette, free and. A lot of people were getting those, and somebody suggested that they should put them on the radio, and that's that's how it started. Wow, that's incredible, man. That's great. That's awesome. Um, so, Eric, uh, we want to dive right in and, and talk to you about um, your book here. And again, uh, the name of it is "The Seed: uh, A True Myth." Um, first, I would just you know I'm flipping over on the back of the cover here and just seeing all the endorsements. Um, and accolades that um, people have given to you for writing this book. And uh, I notice um, Elise Fitzpatrick, who is a great friend of ours. She has been on the podcast many times. Um, and I just want to read her endorsement because um, many of our listeners will be most familiar with her. Uh, the Seed will remind you of the old story and teach you new truth. By this book, share it with your family. Um, and that is just uh, such high praise from a, a woman that we consider a great uh, great teacher that Absolutely. we've had on here. Um, and so we want to uh, dive right in and just start by saying, uh, Steve, in uh, about five to seven minutes, can you do us a favor and summarize this book? Give us give us the summary, give us the synopsis, and then we're going to dive in and just, um, just talk to you about it and ask you some questions. All right. Uh, a summary of the book. It's my story woven into the grand narrative of God's story using symbolism and kind of parabolic imagery to uh, communicate the love of God. Mm -hmm. And so diving into it, I hope that people experience it as just a good fantasy novel, a good read, and that as they go along, they'll start seeing uh, some similarities, maybe see some things differently than they have. And, uh, and by the end, really get to that place that, uh, if you're familiar with Elise Fitzpatrick's new book, home, so good, um, yeah. yeah. So the, this, this book gets you to that, that same place and hopefully, uh, you know, inspires you to see that, um, Nothing uh, in your life in the way of pain and suffering, uh, mistakes, screw ups, 
uh, addictions, whatever you struggle with, that nothing is wasted and that when we get home, you know, everything is, is redeemed and um, you know, brings you to that place of, of union and uh, delight in the, the presence of God as he you know, fills you with his own life. And so, um, you know, that, that's the summary of it and it deals with a lot of, uh, you know, the themes of uh, dealing with the pain of our past, mm-hmm. finding out who you really are, um, you know, the, the ways that we try to construct a life that actually imprisons us over time mm-hmm. and how we get free from that. And, um, and, you know, and how we, we can come to a new re- realization of, uh, you know, just who we are and what it's all about. Yeah. Eric, could I ask, um, I mean, it's such an ambitious book, obviously. And again, reading just uh, at Nathan read one. Um, and again, for our listeners, uh, why not? I just wanted to turn back here and uh, uh, read one that I thought was very, uh, very grabbing here. This is... Um, uh, this is Jessica Thompson, speaker, author of Everyday Grace. Uh, she put, "I am undone. I just finished the seed, a true myth, and I can't stop we uh, can't stop weeping. What a hope building, eternity embracing, eye lifting, heart exploding book." By the way, I love an author that hyphenates, man, because <laughs> it's just it's a way of saying I'm not going to stop, man. Yeah. I, I I can't just say oh it was great or it was excellent, but she she hyphenates her way through. I am so grateful for Eric's work. Truly, I can't remember the last time a Christian book moved me in this way. You will not be disappointed. Um, obviously, I- I'm, I'm guessing, Eric, when you sat down, you had a goal uh, to to uh, put forth really a gospel story in a fresh, innovative way. So you didn't go kind of, for lack of a better word, conventional, traditional, sort of, a, you know, not that there's a... Not that there's anything wrong with that, uh, you know, kind of a didactic, hey, here's my premise, these are my supporting points, and, you know, so forth and so on. You wrote an allegory, a myth, a parable, an epic, whatever whatever the right term is, or a mixture of all. Um, why did you go that route? Because obviously there's probably some degree of risk, right? Uh, yeah. It's, it's probably safer to write the conventional uh, story because if you don't get hooked into the myth by, say, the second chapter, it's not a book that you can skip ahead to chapter eight and say, well, let, you know, let, me, uh, let me read what he says about uh, grace and works. So let me see what he says about, you know, faith and, uh, and uh, you know, repentance. So um, just I'd love to know some of your own thought process and why you chose to write it the way you did. Well, I, I wanted to, like I said, tell my story, but... When I look at spiritual memoir, I look at, I don't know, Donald Miller or uh, Anne Lamott or uh, Nadia Boltz-Weber, you know, I, I say there are people that are uh, much more interesting, that communicate this stuff a lot better than, than I can in the way of you know, just unpacking their, their lives and their experiences. And, um, and yet I, I really wanted to share where I had been and uh, – and do it in a way that uh, drew people into the tone, you know, kind of the feeling of the experience. Mm-hmm. And I thought that rather than giving people ideas or talking about events in my life, uh, or like you said, teaching, that if I told a story, it would have the information in it, you know, it, that those those things would be communicated, but that it would... Uh, communicate on the level of the heart, you know, where people read, when they read a story, they put themselves in the story and so start to experience it uh, emotionally. And then your heart is opened as those truths come along. Whereas I I think a lot of times in the books that are either teaching or or telling a story of a life that um, people are analyzing it. They're kind of on the outside of it rather than inside of it. And they're processing the thoughts and ideas going, uh, do I resonate with that? Is that, you know, can I relate to that? Um, do I accept that or deny that? Um, whereas, you know, in a story, and especially if you don't know where it's going, and if I can yes. grab you in those early chapters, then um, you don't come in, uh, you know, so defensive. Yes. Uh, 
and and you and you uh, have a chance of experiencing. And then when it gets to that place where you start to see the things that you're, oh, I see what where that is. Oh, okay. But he didn't go exact. He zigged when I thought he would zag. You know, then I can kind of uh, say, well, maybe you've understood some things uh, in in a way that uh, need to be questioned. Um, and and to to get to that, you know, people just need to be open to it. So I thought a story would be a, a good way. To, to go about it. And then also, I got to say, in telling my own story, I wanted to do it you know, mythically or parabolically because uh, I just, you know, it, it's hard to throw out um, stuff that has to do with other people in your life yeah. and um, and not feel like you're outing them or like you're criticizing them. Yeah. And um, so if I put it, <laughs> use if I used symbolism, then I could, I could still say what exactly happened. Yeah. Um, but I don't have to, um, you know, go around accusing people of, of you know, jacking up my life. Right, yes. right, right. Yeah. No, that's great. Very good. Uh, and I got to say, um, I, I, I'd like you to um, talk us through in just a second, Eric, um, kind of the inspiration, the timing of all this, um, because both Greg and I have – uh, sat down and we've written fiction stories before. Neither of them have been published, but uh, that to say that we know uh, the incredible difficulty oh, it is yeah, yeah. Yeah. to to completely write out a a story like this. Absolutely. And so, can you just talk to us a little bit about that? How how did this all come about? How how long did it take you? What you know was it just kind of an easy breezy process for you, uh-huh. or was it you know long and painstaking? Just just talk to us a little bit about that process of writing. Yeah, no, it was brutal, and it was um, over the course of eight years, not constant writing. Mm-hmm. Um, there were times when I was really into it, and then places you know, where I, I just had to put it down for right. months and months and months. And um, it started with working with Steve. Uh, he was uh, going into writing his book, Three Free Sins, yes. God's Not Mad at You. And when we were getting ready to pitch that book to a publisher and you give a couple chapters and synopsis and all that, what we thought we would do is I would write a story, just a little um, allegory or a little parable uh, that would illustrate what Steve would teach. So you would get the story, he would teach a little more story and he would teach and then, you know, use it as an illustration. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind the book was that um, self-righteousness is the sign of the fall. Mm That uh, that that's what three free sins was. Uh, that's kind of the premise and the the main idea. So uh, I, I wrote this little uh, piece and we included it with the pitch for the book and people weren't interested in it. <laughs> they just wanted to hear from Steve and you know, hey, lose the kid, you know, <laughs> dump the sidekick. His... We don't want Robin. <laughs> yeah, we don't want Robin. Give us Batman. And, you know, show us the shark repellent on your belt. That's really interesting. I want to see what kind of gear you have. You know, I don't want to see this other guy in tights. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you're sitting there speaking. I almost spit my tea out as <laughs> yeah. I'm drinking. Yeah. Hey. I, if I can just quickly interject, Eric, my wife, maybe the most debilitating, crushing thing she ever said to me, one summer day I was wearing shorts, and she goes, you know, Greg, actually, you would have really good legs for a woman. But anyway, go on. Um, I've never gotten past that. Um, devastating. And actually, Nathan, you would look and say you would disagree. Yeah. But anyway, go on, Eric. So, yeah, so I, I'm like, eh, you know, I'm not a writer. That's fine. I get it. You know, it was worth a shot. And Steve's like, hey, I'm going to do this book alone. But what you wrote there, and it was just the, it was just the seed of the seed. It was just a little, um, I guess what happens kind of midway through the book, like yeah. that part of the book. Um, and it was very different than how it turned out. But it was um, just that, that early part of it. And he says, I like what you did. Why don't you just write your own book? And so then I had to struggle with that whole concept and you know, would I take that on. But I just dabbled with it and played with it and added to it. And then I went into counseling and experienced a lot of stuff uh, there, you know, looking at my past, looking at the ways that I've tried to deal with reality or not deal with reality. And um, then I started to learn some things and I thought, you know, I could put that in the book. And then, you know, a couple years later, had an experience where I went on a silent 
retreat or you know some to have some solitude. I came across a prayer labyrinth and an experience with that um, really got me to okay, I, I could see where this could go in combining this experience and the imagery from that experience uh, with the the stuff that I wrote in the past for the other book. And um, so then just over time it developed. And then I started going to seminary, taking some classes. And I was like, wow, my mind's being blown by the Trinity. And um, hmm. I, I'm like, I got to get that in there. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right, right. So I just kept kind of following the, the crumbs. And over time, uh, got an editor and he uh, helped me learn how to write. I, I didn't know how much that I didn't know until, um, you know, he got a hold of me and gave me a, an education. Um, yeah. Mick Silva, by the way, if you're looking for an editor, the guy's awesome. Good to know. Nice. And um, so he gave me, he gave me a course in writing and then it just went on from there. And we, I stumbled into an agent and stumbled into a publisher and, um, you know, the whole thing just felt like I was riding a wave Wow! You know, rather than chasing a dream or something, you yes, know? Yes. I like that. Riding yeah. a wave. Excellent. Yeah, that's great. Um, Eric, if you could talk to us a little bit, because I, the way you set this up was so great and I really, I, I enjoyed it. Um, from beginning to end, I got to say at first, when I started reading it, some of the things in there, I was a little skeptical of because with people who, who claim to be Christian authors today, and I really didn't know a whole lot about you when I started picking this up and reading it. It's it's a little scary when you start reading about um, works, and and you talk about that a lot in your book about, you know, um, one of your, there are essentially four main characters in this book. You have Tadis, Madeline, Rorick, and you have God, the Trinity, which are three separate characters, but one. Um, and so Tadis comes along to these two characters and says, God wants hard work. All you need to do is work hard and pray that God will bless your hard work. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about, because that we, we find out that that is not what God wants. Um, so can you talk to us about why you made that character so bent on, you know, working hard and doing good works and being good, um, in that, in, in your book? Well, I think we can all relate to that, uh, especially with these characters all having this common, uh, threat in their life, uh, in their lives, this shadow that, um, took their home mm -hmm. and Tatu's case took his family and they, uh, set about trying to protect themselves, trying to, um, find something that was going to help them get through. And, and so when, when Tadus comes along and offers this divine intervention that really relies on your hard work to, you know, get that uh, approval or, or get that blessing, you know, they, they jump at it. And, and I wanted people to early on, um, people had, that had bought into that because we all buy into it in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, that they, they would go, yeah, right. That's, that's good. Follow that guy. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that guy's telling you how to survive in this, uh, broken world. Um, but I, but I also, uh, wanted to create some question, uh, about whether or not they should be following him. So you see some things early on in the book that make mm -hmm. you go, well, I don't know. So right. it's that kind of playing with people like, everybody's going to agree in some way that, you know, you, you work hard, you get paid, you know, you do good, you get good. Um, you know, you, you study hard, you're going to get A's. I mean, that's the way of the world. And so it's familiar, but then I wanted them to start questioning that mm -hmm. maybe I shouldn't, but I, I do agree with it. And then as the book goes on, you see, Oh, this just gets worse and worse. <laughs> this whole way of life and in trying to build yourself a sanctuary or, you know, build some uh, walls that are going to protect you from the pain of a broken world, that what you're essentially doing is building your own prison and it's mm. depleting and it's destroying yes. your relationships. And it's and, and all of a sudden you go, wait, how do I get out of this and come to a place of I can't work anymore? I've busted my ass to get to this place yeah. and this place is hell. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So how do I get out of this whole system, this whole labyrinthine system? And, um, 
you know, my, my, my answer is you, you have to, um, you, you just have to break under the weight of that kind of effort. Yes. And when you do and you enter into helplessness, then you can see the light of love that casts that shadow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the way you portrayed that, because really at the beginning of this story, um, you, you're waiting for who the hero is. And you don't come to that until halfway through the book. Mm. It just seems that there is villain after villain after villain pursuing our these characters. And and you find out that the, the, who they perceive as the greatest threat is actually their greatest ally and their greatest yeah. love. Um, and, and the way you set that up and work through that, um, I, I just think is so brilliant. Um, and, and, and it's just it, – it blew my mind when I was reading that and like, you know, it actually came out and said it. And I was like, Oh, that, that's where he's going. I, you know, I really enjoyed and liked that. That's cool. Thanks. I mean, that's, that came from the experience in counseling, that place of, you know, helplessness, knowing that I can't save myself, um, that I am not the hero of my own story. Mm. And in using the symbolism and, you know, the, those things like you're familiar with uh, Joseph Campbell and, you know, the, the hero's journey, the monomyth and all mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. where you, you have the Luke Skywalker or Neo who goes into the Death Star or the Matrix and he gets the prize and then right. he comes out and he, you know, changes the world and everything. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I wanted to use that same kind of symbolism because, I mean, that really resonates. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, we have that kind of common cultural language. So I wanted to use that same symbolism, but um, turn it on its head mm. and, and, and have people see they're not the hero of the story. They're the prize in the center of the labyrinth. Mm. You know, they're the damsel in distress mm-hmm. and the hero is coming to get them and to mm. rescue them yeah. out of their helpless state. And um, so when it turns that um, hopefully you get the aha and, you know, start to go, okay, maybe there's a different way of life, Mm, like a a way of of limping through life with somebody else who rescues you from yourself. Yeah. And again, Eric, there's something right that story parable can do. Uh, Not not that, again, pros can't. Right. Yeah. you, You can build suspense, twist, turns the unexpected in a narrative, much harder to do um, in prose, you know, (laughs) where you're just kind of, Hey, there is no symbolism here. (laughs) Everything is right out there for you to see. And again, I love that the Bible is a mixture of both. Yeah. Uh, And it is, it is dangerous. Uh, you know, you, you had said that people getting into it early on, if they don't go past those early chapters that they, they're, you know, I really am taking a chance that they never get the goods. And I have heard from a number of people that say the, the first chapters are um, difficult, confusing, dark. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, some people have told me it's scary. They don't like it. Huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they don't want to read further. And um, it, it does start out really uncomfortable. And Eric, you know, are, you just, a, um, uh, are you a Breaking Bad fan by any chance? Yeah, yeah, we watched that whole series. Oh, there you go, dude. <laughs> because this is an ongoing debate with me and Nathan. Nathan, because um, he doesn't love the Lord Jesus. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, let's take that out in the post. No, let's leave it in. Let's leave it um, in. He has not finished it. Because I've told him many times, that first season, you got to pay your dues. Uh, if you watch the honest trailers of that, you're, you're going to have to sit through endless breakfast scenes with clanging silverware on plates <laughs> and muted conversation about things like, Walt, you have to use the visa for the electric bill. Oh, sorry. Clank, clank, <laughs> yeah. clank. What, I mean, there really is. And some people, I think, um, I actually heard Vince Gilligan talk about that uh, in, in several places, that uh, you know, some things they, they probably rushed in the first episode. Walt goes from... Um, middle-class teacher to, hey, I better cook meth to save my family's legacy. Um, because he knew uh, that the network had only ordered, I think, eight episodes. So he's got to do that. Yet he also had this tension, though, that he wanted to to make sure that it pays off for the viewer. Um, 
So, yeah, you had the first episode, which was probably an artificially timed rush. Uh, and the first season, though, in general, was pretty slow. Um, mm-hmm. But it all pays off. And it sounds to me, Nathan, like you said, I don't know what chapter you hit. Mm-hmm. That, uh, And I'll tell you what, dude. I remember having to read Bleak House in college, Dickens' longest work, I think. Mm. And, dude, that is aptly named. Um, <laughs> but uh, I remember our, our prof, Dr. Bem, said... Hey, listen, honestly, after you hit page 450, it starts coming together. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? It, and it that's did. Not, that's it, not encouraging. But look, I'm looking at your book here, Eric, and uh, just to let our listeners know, you don't have to do anything like that. It's about 250 pages, and um, you're going to hit it a lot sooner than that. Yeah. And it's yeah. funny how all the comments I've been reading, you know, things on blogs about it and the people that have, have really sung its praises all kind of have that same theme. Maybe. Yeah. That, man, when this came together. Yeah. Kapow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I had one guy who just he drives me nuts uh, in the Amazon comments. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're, <laughs> they're always fun to read. Yeah. <laughs> he gave the thing one star. <laughs> yeah. And basically said, "I tried to read it, and I started the first chapter, and nah, couldn't." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, so don't rate the book. Yeah. You're driving me nuts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say, yeah. Do you rate the book? When when you don't read it, uh, yeah, no, the, yeah, yeah, this guy did. This guy did. That's been my and I'm thing. enough of and I, I'm enough of a you know narcissist to have that you know really drive me yeah. crazy. <laughs> Dude, I am, I am, uh, I I can relate. I uh, I've written a, a couple of of books, uh, you know, which has made me very wealthy, and uh, I uh, you know sometimes for fun. We actually got that Nathan. If you ever listen, I think the guys on Happy Rant. Yeah, maybe got they do that from time to time. Yeah, they'll read guests. their own reviews. They'll, they'll say, "Hey, let's read uh, Stephen Altrogi's, uh, uh, you know, all his one star, and they are the funniest." It helps because yeah, that stuff can really get to you. You're yeah. like, oh, I mean, here, yeah. dude, you work on it for eight years. Yeah, right. You know, seasons of of harder times, leader mm-hmm. times, where you're muscling out just a just a couple of transitional thoughts to keep the story going, and then creative times where you're, oh my word, it's coming together and it's making a point, and you put together really, it's kind of like writing a symphony, mm-hmm. if, you know, uh, I would imagine, and um, then yeah, I always think some dude <laughs> just. Sitting there in between checking out ESPN uh, yeah. and his and his email. Yeah, I'll pick this up as he's eating his greasy cheesesteak. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I don't like it one star. Yeah, you're like, wow, thanks, man. Um, well, you know what's really hard is to put these ideas and these you know life lessons in the book, and you know that that labyrinth symbolizes that uh, attempt to you know, protect yourself to, and, but also to be significant, yeah. you know, to do something that's, um, you know, on, on a grand scale that says, Hey, this is a monument to my competence as a human being, you yes. know, yes. Uh, look, look what I've built. And I knew that I was into that at a certain point in the book that like the book itself was my labyrinth. Uh, wow. Like, I'm doing what these characters, because um, the characters are all me in some way, you know, yeah, right. but, um, I'm doing I'm doing this, and I was aware of it, and then I I knew that I'd get to the place where I put the book out, and then I'm going to have to deal with what do people think of my labyrinth, yeah. and they're going to you know take their shots at it, and you know oh my gosh, and then like what's the Amazon ranking, and you start freaking out, you know, yeah, and and now I'm at this place like I mentioned the midlife crisis, you know where I'm going okay I knew that, but then I I look back and go how did I not learn the lessons in the book? Because I mean, I taught them, I mm. created this whole uh, story that, that you communicates all this stuff, but somehow I still haven't learned it. How sure. is that possible that you can communicate something that you don't know? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And wow. then, and then I'm, I'm on this side and like the, you know, God's whispering in my ear, it's a seed, man. Let it yeah. die. Mm-hmm. Just let wow. it die. Wow. Put it in the ground. Stop trying. Stop digging the thing up, you know, to uh, see if it's growing because you're just ruining it. Wow. You're ruining the whole experience and it's not going to grow if you keep <laughs> digging it up. Just put yeah. it in the ground. Quit checking the, you know, how it's doing. And um, 
and why don't you sit with me for a while and um, I, you know, I can actually show you a, a way that uh, you can live without a labyrinth. And that's just so scary when you've worked so hard on something, you know, yeah. and it makes you question why you work so hard. And, um, you know, it's, it, it is a, a really strange time, you know, to not be, uh, you know, to, to put it out and then to not be satisfied and then go, gosh, what's it all about, man? Wow. Thank you for that, Eric. Such a, um, just an honest, open, and can so relate, you know, and I, I'm a preacher, so that's what I do. And I would love to tell you, hey, I never give a rip if people like, (laughs) love to tell you that. Um, I can't, but sometimes just the, um, uh, just the knowledge that, man, yeah, that's, that's me building my own little sandcastles that Mm -hmm. are nothing. And even if somebody comes along and says, hey, look at that cute little sandcastle you built. It's just a sandcastle. And it's not who I am. It's not you know who you are in writing it. But, man, I just appreciate the yeah. candor because there's no point in pretending you know, that we're, we're, we're not constantly doing that. And one of the things that comes out, Eric, of course, with a key life and a big theme you know, that I'll hear Steve talk about a lot. We've had Marcy Preheim on, who I think you know as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, was, that was cool uh, several months back. Yeah. Is just that right? You would agree, uh, Eric, that the human heart, to use your metaphor, craves the labyrinth, or we might say, craves law, mm. um, and craves things that we make for identity and security, and uh, which is why, let's be honest, there are Christians sometimes demanding that their preachers give them law. I've had people that have said to me, in in all sincerity, Greg. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Uh, and I want to know, because we want that, right? We want that eight-step, 12-step, 25-step, check, check, check. And um, it sounds to me, Eric, right, like this is something you've thought of a lot um, yeah. in your own life in putting this into story form. Is that right? Yeah. And and like I said, what's happening after the book is that same thing, and it it's that that place where, like in the book, um, the labyrinth has these vines growing in it mm-hmm. as they're building it, and it it's cracking and crumbling, and you know they're faced with, do I build more walls? Do I repair what I've already built? Mm-hmm. And it's like it's crumbling around them as they build it, wow. you know, yeah. and um, and and that's that. You know, hey, make a slave of me. Don't give me freedom. Tell me what to do. Just tell me to work harder. Maybe if I gave it a little bit more effort, then, you know, I could actually perfect this thing. And the whole time those uh, vines were planted in the wall as a gift to set you free. And we so often just want the the slavery and the rules and not that uh, fearful state of freedom, you know, because when you're in that big open space you don't necessarily know what the next step is. You know, I mean, you have to rely on, uh, on another to direct your, your path. And that's just, what if he doesn't show up? You know, what if I'm all alone, you know? Mm. And, um, but it really is a gift. And I'm, I'm seeing that with the midlife crisis is that there's this false self and well, there's false selves, you know, me and the struggles I go through as a husband or, and not doing it well. Me as a father and then being faced with my kids having I see myself in them and my own brokenness passed on and going, I'm not very good at that. Mm -hmm. You know, I see, you know, work all hard on this book and it goes out and is like, "Eh, man, I haven't changed the world yet. What's up with that? You know, (laughs) and and then it's like and, and the whole time this feels horrible. It just feels horrible to be faced with so much of that um what feels like futility, but the gift that God's giving you is this death. Yes. Mm. Like these false selves are dying and you're mourning the loss. I mean, that's what the crisis is about. That's the depression that you're in. You're actually mourning this, this death of who you thought you were, you know, author, dad, husband, key life guy, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, but what's he giving you, you know, he's giving you, your true identity, which is rooted in him, mm-hmm. you know, which is rooted in like uh, the imagery from the book is plants that have gotten up uh, and, and walked away from the, the soil and the water that nourishes them, yeah. you know, so they're up, you know, moving around 
and, and doing all this stuff where the real gift is just to sit still and to um, let the water fill you because plants without water, they just droop and, mm-hmm. and die. But their plants aren't made to go walking around in their roots. They're meant to sit there still and to have the water fill them. And then they uh, stand, they start to stand up straight and, you know, they sit there long enough and they start to grow. And then the, you know, the water flows through and the nutrients of the soil, it does the, does their thing and you start to bear fruit. And then all of a sudden you're in a place that you couldn't have gotten to yourself, you know, because you just stopped with all the, the damn labyrinth building. Yeah. 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 And if you just sat still long enough, you'd know that God is the water, you know, that that we're designed to be filled with him. And it's this life of separation um, in the labyrinth that's driving us absolutely mad, you know, and it's still driving me mad. Like, will I ever learn the lesson? Really? I can sit here and tell you it. But then, you know, tonight I'm going to, you know, go home and, and feel depressed about how I'm not living up to my own standards. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. That's so good. And and you do a great job at, you know, um, all the characters, bringing them back to that position, you know, where um, I, just for a second, you know, talking about um, Madeline or uh, Madria, um, you know, she comes to a point of realization of who she actually is. But then she's always she, she's trying to go back to where she was before. She liked that, you know, ignorant kind of blissful state, yeah. even though it was, it was literally killing her, yeah, um, right. you know, and so you, you really paint that well. Um, if I could for a second, just ask you, because really I felt like most of the story focused around her and her coming to, to light, to love first. And um, t- tell us about um, why, why you chose that as more of a central uh, character, why you chose her as more of a central character. You as a dude, I'm sure, would be able to write mainly about being a dude and how you know the experience affects you, but you chose to take it from the perspective of a woman. And I, I thought yeah. you did a very good job with mm-hmm. it um, and, and handled it very well. Can you tell us <laughs> about... women is hard, yeah. man. When, <laughs> yeah. when you're a dude. Yeah. yeah. Um, so well, can you talk to us a little bit about that and, and why you chose to take it from that perspective? Well, you know, it goes back to that experience um, that I told you about on the, um, the, the time of solitude and the um, silence with the labyrinth. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, when I came across this prayer labyrinth, and I never really contemplated one before or, uh, you know, knew what to do with it. And there was this little book that was like, hey, well, you just go into it and be open to what it's telling you, you know. Mm. And so, you know, I, I kind of trace the path and, and I go into it and I took it as a journey towards the center of the labyrinth. Cause the labyrinth mm-hmm. is just this unbroken path. It's not a maze. If you just keep going, mm-hmm. you're going to hit the center. And so, you know, it's a long journey, but I thought the message was, if you just keep going, you'll get there, you'll get to God, you know? Mm-hmm. And it came to me like, like one of those thoughts that's, um, interrupt. It's an interruption. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't like I had settled on the meaning of the labyrinth and like the thought was like, no, you got it all wrong. Mm. You are in the center of the labyrinth and all these walls you built to protect yourself and to keep me away. But at the same time, it is an unbroken path and um, it invites me in and I'm not going to I'm not going to stop until I reach you in the center and, and free you. Mm. And so. And, you know, that's the voice of, uh, of love, you know, yeah. saying I'm going to come get you out. So. Um, and then using the symbolism, you know, with the tower in the center of labyrinth, you know, well, it's a damsel in distress. It's the woman in the tower. That's we're familiar with that um, the kind of uh, image. And so, um, you know, I had to spend a good deal of time with her uh, because she's the one that's, uh, you know, that that she's, she's the most trapped. Mm-hmm. The male character uh, is out there you know, building the thing and, um, has some interaction with, uh, another, that other character, the hunter tattoos. And, um, but she's the most isolated and she goes the most nuts, Mm, Yeah, (laughs) you know? And, um, so it just had to spend the time with her going, uh, you know, losing it. And, um, but then also I think, you know, we all have these, this imprinting on us. I mean, I am the male character, you know, Rourke, Mm -hmm. um, I, I am uh, Madeline, 
you know, because I have a mother and father that both told me what it means to be human, mm-hmm. you know, and so there's a part of me that has that, uh, and that goes all the way back. I mean, that's their parents and their parents' parents, and you know, all the way back to, you know, the the first parents, where you have uh, this common experience that we're all sharing, um, and so, you know, we are our. I am my mom. I am my dad, and uh, and yet I'm uniquely me. And those those that that trapped female crazy character is part of me. <laughs> mm, yeah. Wow. And and so um, so I could write it well because I know it. You know. Yeah. I love the. And, but, um... I could, but I can also write the uh, the the guy well. Um, or I hope I could, could write it well. I mean, it felt <laughs> it felt real to me. I could write him real as I experienced him because, um, I'm out there, you know, building the thing and going nuts that way. Um, and so, yeah, it's just that, that piece of me. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you see the, um, the Netflix series, stranger things yet by any chance, Eric? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love that. I was going to say the way you're describing the, the, the main female character, the trapped woman going crazy. You got Winona Ryder right there in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> You know, with the lights and everything like that, and that um, just, uh, I don't know, that word picture kind of comes up to my mind. Um, I think it was, I was looking up here, uh, the quote's been attributed to so many people, according to my little quick search. I think it was D.T. Niles, who was a Methodist pastor in Sri Lanka for for many years, who, um, and I don't know, this is the tone I get from the way you're talking about the book, the tone I get from Key Life, Would, would you say this captures it in some sense? Uh, Eric, that uh, Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Um, yeah. I just love that. Mm. I love that yeah. picture. Just, yeah. It's not somebody that's figured out a formula who now stands above the beggar. You know what I mean? It tells him, yeah. you can ascend to my exalted place if you take the same pathway I took. It's the beggars. Man, let me tell you where yeah. I found bread. Um, right. Uh, it just, I don't know. You, you, I love that about your heart. It comes through so clearly in the way you talk. Yeah. We'd all like to be former beggars telling current beggars where we found bread, yes, you yes. know, because Hey, that bread is, you know, nourished us and whatnot, but you have to keep going back and you got to yeah, eat every day, man, or absolutely. else you're going <laughs> to be very healthy. And so still a beggar, and, and, yeah, still, still a beggar. And it's, it's frustrating. You know, I'd like to be the hero of my own story, but oh, it's yeah. just, but it's just not happening. Yeah. yeah. Um, Eric, I'd like to read a section um, of your book here. This is um, from Chapter 12, Madria's Gift. This is where love is offering her uh, essentially salvation. And it's so cool because it it really parallels uh, the woman at the well. Um, And and so I'd like to read this small section here. he, uh, Love, or God, is, is handing her the gift, and she says, I'm sorry, I can't accept this. Only you can accept this. It is a gift worthy of a queen. She wiped her eyes. A queen? As she examined the seed, she noticed a strange smell and held it to her nose. It smelled foul and made her gag. I'm sorry, she coughed. I didn't expect the smell. Yes, you had the same problem with my water, but you can overcome that with the seed. When it fills you with light, my water will be like honey on your lips. Mm. If your water smells like that, no thank you. I'll drink from the well. Drink your water, and in a little time, and in a little while, you'll have to return to the well and drink again. My water is life. Soak your roots in the water of light, and you'll never be thirsty again. Mm. So good, and just yeah. again, such a parallel uh, to when Christ encounters the woman at the well. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's told in such a story-oriented way, yeah. uh, and it's um, yeah, really good. But we keep leaving, you know, we keep leaving the the water, you know. Like we keep getting up and walking away. I mean, I, we don't really, you know, it's still within us, yeah. but we, we forget again. You know, yeah. we forget who we are and it takes that place of stillness of accepting, you know, all the, the death in your life, all the suffering of the loss of who you thought you were, mm-hmm. you know, to sit there long enough experiencing that, that you realize that, you know, he's right there within you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you'll just rest and be with him, you'll, you'll stand up straight again. Yeah. Yeah. And again, you know, the book we're talking about is The Seed, A True Myth by Eric Guzman. And um, again, just everything in here was so great, you know, uh, just so uh, parallel to the Bible. And and you really you take it from um, essentially from creation to revelation. 
and we see, you know, the, these creatures made in perfection and we see corruption and we see God intervening in his creation to make things right and the reversal of all the corruption that has gone on in their lives. And it's just, it, it is so well done. Well, thanks, man. That is, that's really encouraging because I've been, you know, kind of kicking my own butt yeah. going, yep. you know, uh, uh, <laughs> come on, man, somebody love me over right. here. <laughs> <laughs> Easy to do. Well, I'd love to chime in there and tell our, uh, our listeners, uh, of course, um, you know, we, we were talking about Eric's book, uh, uh, The Seed. It's published by uh, New Growth Press, uh, and, and Key Life's imprint, uh, uh, imprint is on there as well. Um, you know, I mean, here we are. We've come through the holiday season mm-hmm. in a new year. This is a, uh, a great time. If you're like me, uh, and I say that every year, Nathan, I, I always slip into my – see, I don't live in Orlando. Right. So I, I slip into <laughs> my SAD seasonal effective thing, which for me is very real, man. Yeah. I, I am fighting a funk every January through like late March yeah. living in here in the Mid-Atlantic. And uh, reading, honestly, I, I know for many of our listeners, love to read. They always yeah. tell us that you know they're thankful for the books that we promote and and um, and give out. So the seed, uh, if you're if you're kind of like me and you want to read something that's just gonna just speak the gospel to you mm-hmm. in a very provocative way and an encouraging way, uh, then by all means, man, pick this up. You. Uh, you will not be disappointed. Yeah, absolutely. And we want to um, just quickly let everyone know we're going to give away um, three free copies of the book. So if you go ahead, um, you know, as you're listening to this and we put this out on Twitter, if you retweet this, you'll go ahead and be entered into um, the contest to win, uh, to win one of the books. If we have three people who retweet, all three of you will get a book. If we have more than that, then we'll we'll put you into the drawing. So um, Eric, thank you so much. Um, before we sign off, just wanted to ask you, we like to, you know, ask our guests, is there anything that you wanted to, um, to say, or, you know, to bring up, um, about your book or about anything else? We just want to turn it over to you and and let you kind of roll for, for a few minutes. Nah, I, I, I put it all in the book, man. Uh, (laughs) You left it all on the table. I don't have anything left to say. No, I, I I just want to say thank you guys for having me on. And I really appreciate the encouragement and uh, what you said about the book. And, um, you know, that, that means a lot to me and, um, you know, the, the opportunity to tell some people about it is just, I cherish that. So, uh, thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely, Eric. Thank you. Our pleasure. We're going to go ahead and sign off now. Greg, Eric, we just rocked the Casbah. Orlando style. These go to 11.